I tried to save people and I didn't work for five. Okay? There's five people that aren't home right now. And I, I thank God and it's Thanksgiving. I went through this at Thanksgiving in Iraq, man. We lost the dudes. I really hope people kind of use this and, and shake someone's hand, give someone a hug, give them a kiss. I, these are good people, man. These were all kids. They were, this, the guy, uh, Joshua, uh, who was dancing with my daughter and my wife and Joanne, he grabbed my daughter and they went and hid. He saved my daughter's life, man. I want those five families to know that's all I care about. I want those that are in the hospital right now get better. Please get better. I, I, we went out to see a show and have a good time. And thank God Raymond was smiling and he was dancing with my kid. And my daughter got to spend her last day with him happy. Tears in Colorado. A shooting at an LGBTQ nightclub left 18 wounded, five dead, a suspect apprehended, and amid the ashes, there was heroism and caring. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. At the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and other stuff, but all that takes a back seat to the tragedy of this past weekend. It was Saturday night, November 19th at Club Q, an LGBTQ watering hole in Colorado Springs, Colorado. There was a big night planned, a drag show and dancing, a typical Saturday night. That ended just before midnight when a lone gunman, later identified as 22-year-old Anderson Lee Aldridge, entered armed with an AR-15 and a pistol, and he coldly opened fire. The result, 18 persons wounded, 5 dead. Daniel Aston, Derek Rump, Kelly Loving, Ashley Paw, and Raymond Green Vance. The five victims came from different directions as family and allies. They were gay, cis, trans, and straight. Vance was there with his girlfriend and her parents, there to support another friend who was performing that night. One of the parents was Richard Fierro, a retired major in the United States Army and a combat veteran in Iraq and Afghanistan. The man has a bronze star to his name. As Aldridge was firing on the patrons at the club, Fierro caught up and grabbed him. He got the rifle away from Aldridge and then grabbed the pistol and began to subdue him with it with aid of other patrons, one of which was a trans woman who held him down with a high heel. Afterward, Fierro told reporters that he wasn't a hero. He just wanted to save his family, and family for him in that moment had a much broader definition. And I needed to save my family. And that family was, at that time, everybody in that room. Um, and that's what I, I, I was trained to do. I saw him and I went and got him. And when I pulled him down, I, 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 I told him I was hitting him. I, I want to kill you, guy. He killed, he killed a family member. I, I, I'm an emotional guy, but I also, you know, I, I try not to be that, you know. Um, I try to be strong for my family. I try to save people and I didn't work for five, okay? There's five people that aren't home right now. I want those five families to know that's all I care about. I want those that are in the hospital right now, get better. Please get better. I, I, we went out to see a show and have a good time. 
And thank God Raymond was smiling and he was dancing with my kid. And my daughter got to spend her last day with him happy. And that community, I love that community. Piero's bravery under fire saved countless other people that night. And we're going to put his interview with CNN in the liner notes. Content warning to you. Have tissues at the ready. You're going to need them. Anderson Lee Aldridge has been charged with killing five people. And he's being held on murder and hate crimes charges, according to the Denver Post as of this hour. The police aren't disclosing Aldridge's alleged motives at this time. Now, by the time the smoke cleared, it was early Sunday morning, Transgender Day of Remembrance. It cast an additional pall for many on what is already a somber day. One of the people who was inside when the shooting occurred took to Twitter to set a record straight. Delusional, who was a drag performer at the at Club Q that night, made sure that the person who saved her life was properly recognized the way she should be. Her tweet read, quote, the one who saved my life and stomped the shooter's face in was not a drag queen, as earlier reported. She is a trans woman. Let's not call trans women drag queens during this time of grieving over a transphobic attack. Skylar Bailar, noted activist and former collegiate swimmer, said, quote, in a country filled with lawmakers who have been consistently trying to erase us, I'm not at all surprised. Republicans planted the seed for these murders a long time ago. And they've been steadily growing and growing. This didn't come out of nowhere. They have been planning for this. There were also antagonistic voices. Chloe Cole, noted detransitioner who's become a darling of sorts with right-wing media, said this on her Twitter. The vast majority of LGBT people who just want to live their lives are suffering because extremely radical trans activists are using the acronym as a shield for their degeneracy. She got a large agreement and a big bingo from the group Gays Against Groomers. There were also others. Libs of TikTok had something to say. The LGB Alliance said, quote, they stand in solidarity with LGB people worldwide against this senseless hatred, end of quote. Never mind that two of the people who were shot and killed were transgender people. I could give you my feelings for an hour, for forever and a day, really. This leaves bitter bile in my throat, and I'm very angry. But I found someone who could best put how I'm feeling into words, and that is noted activist and entertainer Hope Giselle. Hope said this on her Instagram. We're going to give you a snippet of it. The full remarks will be in the liner notes. Do you all not realize that not only do queer people frequent queer bars and queer spaces, but there are folks who are allies. There are people who are working there to feed the children that you claim that you want to support. There are mothers in those buildings that you claim that you want to honor. There are cisgender women that you claim that you want to protect from the drag queens and the trans people that could have been harmed or killed. But that doesn't matter 
because your hatred was more important than the idea of people who have done nothing wrong to you or to anybody except exist freely was more important than their lives. Your hatred, your bigotry, your misunderstanding of, of people, your lack of care, your lack of give a fuck always trumps the need to actually give a shit about the fact that there is a breathing, living person on the other end of your assault rifles, your pistols, your knives, your fists. You forget that. Elsewhere in the world, the World Cup in Qatar continues this week. And with that in mind, we have some shout-outs along with some call-ins. First, shout-out to commentator Claudia Newman of Germany's ZDF Network. Also, noted U.S. soccer commentator Grant Wall and BBC commentator Alex Scott. Now, why am I shouting them out? Well, Newman, who is in the booth for ZDF for the USA-Wales game, wore a rainbow armband and a rainbow t-shirt in solidarity. Grant Wall also wore a rainbow t-shirt to the venue where he was detained for 25 minutes by Qatar World Cup security and then was banned from the stadium trying to enter. Now, we're going to put in the liner notes Grant Wall's podcast where he explains what happened and how it happened. And again, Alex Scott with the with the well-known Love One armband on her arm on live television prior to the England-Iran match. Now, to all three of you, respect, number one. Massive respect. But there's a call in with this. Frau Newman, I respect what you did, but... I want you to so, show the same intensity when Germany, for example, meets Poland with their LGBTQ zones or meets Hungary led by their archaic rule of the Viktor Orban regime whose laws on LGBTQ people ring very similar to the laws in Qatar. Mr. Wall, I respect you, but I hope you have the same intensity for the things that are happening in the United States. Remember, the USA co-hosts the 2026 FIFA World Cup. And among the areas that will have games in that World Cup, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Miami, Florida, the Ron DeSantis regime, the Greg Abbott regime, don't say gay Erasing affirming health care for trans youth, which in my mind is like throwing trans people off of buildings. And in the case of Texas, you have a state-run secret police, also known as the Department of Family Services, who are actively spying on and trying to jail parents who affirm their transgender child. In my mind, that's no different than what's happening in Qatar. Mr. Wall? I'm looking forward to you calling them out the next time there's a CONCACAF qualifying match in those cities or if these scenes remain unchanged when the world comes to, the, to America in 2026. Ms. Scott, I respect what you did, but will you have the same smoke for your Tory government? Because after all, they're for conversion therapy for trans people. That's okay in the UK. 
Are you prepared to wear that armband and call out Rishi Sunak, who's tr who has a Tory government, who's considering bringing back laws that you haven't seen since the Thatcher era in the days of Section 28? To quote a good friend of mine, noted Connecticut activist Kamora Harrington, oh, you all about Cutter? That's nice. Try talking about home. Y'all about protesting in Qatar? Great. Y'all should do it at home. As I've said constantly, the best way to help LGBTQ people there is to get it right here. Also, a shout out to Jim Budzinski and Sid Ziegler. They had some excellent articles in Outsports about this. Same with Alex Rimmer. Shelby Weldon had some articles. Articles. Ken Schultz had a funny article on, on this whole mess. Very satirical and very good. Read them. Among the callouts, Georgia GOP Senate candidate Herschel Walker and your favorite spoil sport in mind, Riley Gaines. Now, y'all really, y'all really seriously want to have, um, y'all really want to do this again. Y'all really going to bring in Riley Gaines for this. Fine. The GOP Senate Competition Committee is going all in on this. Okay. Bring Riley Gaines. Just remember, her record, had, she had a losing record for the candidates that she supported during the elections a couple weeks ago. Y'all going to take another L in this runoff. And let's remember, for the voters in Georgia who don't know, Riley Gaines is only known because she threw a fit over a trophy when she tied for fifth against a trans woman. Hashtag just saying. And I have a special call out that's, I'll admit, a little personal. And it began with a tweet throughout Trans Awareness Week. Tennis Hall of Famer Billie Jean King put out a tweet about five days ago that said, Trans Awareness Week runs through November 20th, Transgender Day of Remembrance. And she said transgender uh, gave some stats about what transgender adults and youth are facing. And it ended with learning more about their lives is the first step to supporting them. Typical Billie Jean King. Good stuff. But in response, Nancy Hogshead Maycar, noted Title IX lawyer and the head of the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, responded in this fashion. Hashtag women in sport aren't Tim's antidote to mental health or the harm from males. Now, what is a Tim? It's shorthand for trans-identified male. If you will, it's bigot speak. And Nancy Hogshead Maycar, the person who claimed her group would be a middle way forward, engaged in bigot speak. But she's been doing more of that. And a certain host of the transporter room, yours truly, decided to call her out on it. I said, quote, Nancy, this tweet was, in re was rather nasty and in poor taste, even for your kind. Yes, I use dehumanizing language for bigots. I own it. And in this case, that was bigoted language. Next time, just spell out Tim's in full. Don't be a soft bigot, counselor. Say what you mean and own it. And for emphasis, I'll admit I did a different version of the Women's Sports Policy Working Group logo. I added the word cisgender to it. Now, in response, another 
well-known turf and tennis hall of famer Martina Navratilova said, quote, Nancy's always owned who she is and your name calling and insults are pathetic. My response, Natalie owns that she's a transphobe like you. Good. I like honest bigots. They're easier to spot and we know where we stand. In response, Hogshead Maycar said, yes, I'm honest. Sports destroy, destroys the ideas that trans women are women. And she put it as T-W-A-W, which is, again, more bigot speak. Now, there are other things that were said in this exchange, including Martina saying, quote, I think you're not an actual journalist, but rather a troll who likes to call people names. Now, my record of almost 30 years in this business and my resume would say otherwise, but I said in my tweet, since you question my acumen, you're more than welcome to appear on my podcast. Hogshead Maycar response says, called it an attention grab, saying, Trust me, Martina doesn't need a platform to talk about sex-based human rights from you. She has every news media outlet. And you know, hogs have made, Nancy is right. And I'm not into platforming transphobia. True, bigots like hogs have made car and Martina Navratilova get plenty of airtime. Now, other things were said, and, and I'm going to put this all in the liner notes. And full disclosure, did I come at Martina? Yes, I did. And I own it. Did I ask the question, what is check from Margaret Court? It's Martina Navratilova. Yes, I said that. And I own it. Unlike bigots, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. But to both of you, Ms. Hogshead Makar, Ms. Navratilova, my invitation to you stands. You two both say that you want to engage in discussion about the issues and debate about the issues. Well, if you really believe that, then come to my forum, get beamed up. Now, I understand that Ms. Navatilova feels I lack the, the professionalism to engage in this. So I placed a call out to my colleagues within the Trans Journalist Association. I'm sure that we can build a panning panel of journalists suitable to your liking. So, how about it? You see, transgender people always have to go where angels fear, fear to tread when it comes to the press. Too often we see cisgender people talking to other cisgender people without any pushback about trans people. And when trans people get a chance to say their voice, it's largely in places that are cis-centered at best and hostile like Fox News at, at worst. We really haven't had a fair hearing from a cisgender journalist really since Melissa Harris-Perry was on the air. You see, we believe in discussion in the trans community, so we're not afraid to go to a cis-centered forum. But my question is, Ms. Hogshead Maycar, Ms. Navratilova, if you really believe in free discussion of these issues, why are you afraid to come to a trans-centered forum? Like I said, the invitation is open, and we await your answer. But we're not holding our breath. And that's the red alert klaxon. You know what that means. we got to take a break, pay some bills, give love to our sponsors. But when we come back, we have a policy researcher and a media watchdog who's going to give us the ins and outs on what we're seeing in the regard to coverage of this last weekend and the contentious issues of this last year. You won't want to miss it. 
I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and as we said from the beginning, this show has a different vibe. It's a lot more somber, especially with the events in Colorado Springs this past weekend. In many ways, those events are a microcosm of what trans communities and, by extension, LGBTQ communities have faced in 2022. But a number of people have raised their hand out and stamped. Yet a number of people have stood in the gap to keep the community aware and informed of what's happening and why it's happening. And one of those is an activist, content creator, legislative researcher, mom, and D&D dungeon master named Aaron Reed. Aaron Reed works in Washington, D.C., and they've worked in the political game. They did digital ad work for a firm that dealt with political candidates, but then decided there's something more important than what I'm doing, and that is to use my skills to serve a trans community that she holds dear. She became part of the Transformations Project, and also took on a pet personal project that's become her calling card of sorts. She provided a map, a worldwide map, of where someone who's looking for informed consent for hormone replacement therapy could find it near them. Aaron Reed is also known in the social media world, not just as someone who keeps people aware and informed of the legislation that's coming down, but also in the sense she watches the watchdogs. And being a member of the media, yes, those who watch the watchdogs can get under your skin, but more often than not, they're making you that much better as journalists. And this journalist appreciates that. And I appreciate her. And on this somber week, it's only fitting and right that the watchdog joins us. Beaming up from Washington, D.C., Aaron Reed, Aaron in the Morn. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I appreciate this opportunity so much. I think your work is so important. I'm glad to be here. Well, I tip my hat to you for what you've been doing and what you've been doing for quite some time, beginning with the HRT map. What got that started? Let's go right out of the gate with that. Absolutely. Uh, so four years ago, whenever I first wanted to transition, I realized how difficult it was to obtain hormone therapy and medical care in general as a transgender person. And in my researching online, I learned that there was something called informed consent hormone therapy, which meant I didn't have to wait two years and pay thousands of dollars to get a therapist letter in order to start hormone therapy. But the resource to find these clinics wasn't available. There was no map. There was no central database of where these places were. It was all word of mouth and smart resources from local LGBT organizations. So I found one. I found one not far from me, um, actually fairly far from me. It was about three hours from me, and I had to drive to get my hormones. 
three hours there, three hours back for the first several months of my life. And I realized I'm like, there needs to be a better way. There needs to be, people need to be able to find the ones that are close to them because this is a big barrier to transitioning. This is preventing people from going through. And so I went online. I went to every Planned Parenthood. I typed in my zip code in the center of each state and found all of the ones, clicked in the boxes and found if they were offering HRT or not. Because I know Planned Parenthood does informed consent. I also gathered resources from various LGBT orgs. I went onto Reddit and found the ones that were suggested on Reddit. I went onto old transgender forums and found the ones that were there. And I mapped them and I put them out and I, I released them to the community. And ever since I have, every single week, almost every single day, I still have people messaging me saying, hey, there's one that's not on your map. Or hey, this one closed down. Or hey, make a note about this one because the doctor at this one might be a little bit iffy and a little bit transphobic. I, I, keep, I keep track of that. I help people um, find these resources. And ever since then, I think it's at like 3.5 million views now. Um, people use it. And it makes me so happy that I've been able to be a part of so many people's personal transitions. I mean, one thing about that is you're taking, you're taking the word of mouth that trans people, what we do, that word of mouth where you say, okay, you want to go here, you don't want to go here. What our community does, and you've blown it up. You've exploded it. You've, and you've made it in many ways global. I notice you're starting to get a lot more of those little pinpoints beyond the shores of the United States and beyond North America. Yep, in Canada, in Australia, even in Spain, I, I've got a couple. Um, there are more places in the world that are starting to offer informed consent hormone therapy. A lot of countries don't. A lot of countries have a lot of gates that you have to get through in order to start transition, sometimes taking up to four or five years. And that's why I did this. I don't want people to have to wait five years to transition. That That's time lost, and that's that's life lost. And you know, I'm glad that I've been able to help people in mapping this out. How thorough is this? On this map, you have where I go. That's how thorough this is. Three years ago in Rewire, you said this. Moving from transition, being a theoretical thing to an actual concrete thing, being able to make a plan, knowing that there's a physical place you can go and seeing it on the map, potentially not far from you, I think it gives people a little bit of courage to be themselves. Now, what gave you the courage to be yourself? For me, um, whenever I was very young, I, I went by the name Aaron online and I was able to be myself as a teenager. But as things were 20 years ago in a red state like Louisiana in a very rural area, it was impossible for me to actually go through with my transition in, in, in real life. And so 20 years passed by and I reconnect with that person. I I find that person again. I in, in therapy appointments, I talk about that person and realize after moving from Louisiana to the DC area that this was no longer a theoretical idea, that this could be reality. I could be the person that I've always wanted to be. And in talking with people that I met online who were acted as my support group and in going to support groups in person. I realized that there was a chance to seize myself and to be authentic. And, and the, the weight that came off of my shoulders for doing that, I mean, even just like the first few days of discovery, 
was it, it 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 cured so much for me it alleviated so much for me things that i never realized i was suffering from and yeah that's why louisiana louisiana and, yeah and then you come to washington and you're working and you're working deep deep in the in the political sh- machine in the sense in the political in the grind and the pr of the political game what led you to leave that to do what you're doing now I have been so concerned for my siblings, my trans siblings, and my LGBTQ siblings. And every single day, and I've been doing this for the last three years, um, every single day, I would divert my attention between this heavy-duty political work that I was doing for, for very good causes, but also my advocacy, which kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And I found that my voice was making a difference in people's lives and making a difference in media coverage and making a difference in the actual legislation that was being proposed in so many of these states. I've made so many legislator friends. I've made reporter friends. I've made activist friends and connections. And I finally came to the realization that I couldn't sit this out. I couldn't divert my attention. There's no way I was going to be able to be effective at what I do by giving eight hours of my day to somebody else. You know, I, I'm here. I'm here for this fight. And this next year is going to be very difficult, but I will be here for it. What are we looking at in 2023 from a legislative standpoint? So in 2023, I am anticipating more anti-transgender bills than have ever been filed in history. And this is after in 2021 and 2022, we had more than, than ever in history in both of those years. Um, the rhetoric and the temperature and the volume around this these anti-trans bills and the hate around them has turned up, has increased. And, you know, we've seen the firebombing of LGBTQ institutions at local places. We've seen evidence of that in the shattering of windows in recent tragedies that have occurred, like in Club Kiel. And so, you know, I think that given that and given the political machine that continues to target us, um, we're going to see we're going to see this increase, and we're going to have to continue to push back and continue to fight back. Now, within all this, I want you to talk about my profession for a minute. Where does the press miss? Where do we miss in covering this? I think that coverage from the press and and where the press usually misses out the most is by treating transgender people as a both sides issue and often there's this equal weight given to voices that do not represent the scientific consensus around transgender people that do not represent the community the community consensus around transgender people that do not represent feminists or women or any group of people and yet a lot of times they're given equal treatment, if not a louder voice in many mainstream news articles. Um, you know, like they've, they've done so much research and so much polling and so much discussion on our rights and on medical care for us. But at the end of the day, transgender people 
especially those who are affirmed, are thriving. We have friends that 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 love us. We have families, in many cases, that still love us. And while that might not be the case for everybody, we do have chosen families, and we do have people that care for us. And so, whenever whenever I I look in the media and I look in coverage of, for instance hormone therapy or gender affirming care for trans youth or something like that. Um, there's so much concern being peddled without talking to all of the transgender youth who are just excelling and flying and living beautiful lives and happy. And, you know, I get to hear from those people every day and I just, you know, I wish that for one, there were more, trans voices represented in these pieces but for two i wish there were more transgender people telling these stories doing this reporting i've had friends that have told me that their media companies would not let them cover transgender issues as a transgender reporter and that feels wrong you know no it's very wrong because you you often run into that i i recently ran into that with Somebody who is a big league turf, who we mentioned earlier in this in the show, who basically said, "quote I'm a fake journalist who just wants to be a troll." And I'm so sorry. There's nothing to be sorry about. All I can say is my resume, my two Emmys, and my curriculum vitae will say different. But that's that's another thing. I I want your take on this. Why in your mind do you feel that so many of these people that engage in this both sides or so many cisgender people who are just asking questions, for example, they'll run to the New York Times, but they, for example, they won't come here or they won't come to say your TikTok, but they'll run to them. Why as a trans person? Just your gut reaction to that, and why do you think that is? I think that so often there is this idea of trying to play the middle ground. And so many, even well-intentioned people try to do this sometimes because it's what we're what we're told is is like a value in American society is like, you know, being this moderate voice or something like that. When in, in reality, those on the right and and those that advocate for our elimination from public life are abusing this. They know that if they move the window to the right, then the middle ground continues to move. And this plays into that. I think that, I think that trying to play into the middle ground between like, you can't find a middle ground between elimination of transgender people and acceptance. And, and this has been, this has been the case all throughout history throughout many different communities that have been targeted, not just the transgender community, you know, the LGBT community in general and immigrants, race, you know, people who speak English as a second language, the disabled community. I mean, this isn't unique to trans people. And yet this is something that we deal with. We deal with oppression based on the idea that they can find a middle ground to our acceptance and our full inclusion in society. And I think that we have to demand nothing less than full inclusion and dignity. And part of that, I truly believe, is finding our own voices to report our stories and to tell our stories. You're big on TikTok. 
in addition to your Twitter, what led you to move on to that platform and what are some things you're going to be doing with it? Yeah. Um, Eight months ago, whenever it was first reported that Elon Musk was considering buying the platform six months, eight months, a while back, whenever Elon Musk was first considering buying the platform, I think a lot of us in the community knew that if that ever did go through, um, Twitter was going to suffer as a space to get our voices out there and to discuss the issues that we talk about every day. And so at that moment, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to branch out. I'm going to jump off this platform for a little while and I'm going to explore another space and I'm going to explore another community of people. And so I got onto TikTok and um, essentially started talking out my tweets. I, I started just discussing them and just having a conversation like I'm having with you, but with a different audience, a younger audience. And it blew up. It got big. People liked to hear what I had to say. And, and the biggest thing that I learned, and it's it's been such an interesting experience for me, is in talking to this group of people, they perhaps haven't been in the activism community or in the advocacy community for a very long time. And a lot of them are still learning a lot of the very basic things about what it means to be transgender and what it means to accept and what the laws out there are and what's happening in our community. And so to be able to be that voice for them and to be able to go back to the, to the basics and to talk about here are the basic issues that are going to be affecting us. And here's the news around us every single day. And to see not just them online, but to meet many of them in person. Whenever I go to pride events, a lot of the times they come up to me and thank me. Um, it makes me, it makes me happy that I'm reaching out to them because I do feel like younger people are so accepting of us and LGBTQ people in general. And I feel like so much change is going to come from them. And so I feel like it's really important to reach them. What's it like when you get recognized, when people always say, you're Aaron, when people know your face? It's, it's been something that I've had to adjust to. It's wonderful. I love, I love it whenever it happens. And it makes me smile so much whenever I get to see somebody that recognizes me. Um, and what I like, I think what, what makes me really happy is it's a way that I can connect to, to who's reading my stuff and to who's watching my stuff and put a face to the people that comment and the people that respond to me because no longer do they just become like these people that are, you know, also learning and fighting alongside us and advocating alongside of us online. They're not just like text and a screen name. They are a flesh and blood person who has people that they care about. If they're not trans or queer themselves, then they have trans and queer friends and to hug them and to share that those moments with them, it it makes me really happy. And secondarily, um, I've found that this is kind of kind of funny. I tend to be able to I tend to to learn very quickly how queer a space is by if people recognize me or not. So, like for instance, Renaissance fairs very queer, very very queer. I meet a lot of people that know me and that I have connected with there. Um, Halloween candy door to door, not as queer, but you know. Ren fairs. Ren so I wonder, do you actually do you fair. do you fully gear up for those? I fully gear up for Renaissance festivals. Are oh, you kidding you me? Do? Okay, I, tell me about it. I go to the Maryland Renaissance Fair every single year, 
Um, I love it so much. I buy season passes. This time I bought a six day, like a six time pass and I used up all six and still had to buy extra tickets. So next year I'm buying a 10 day pass. Uh, but no, I, I, I change my outfit every year. Like I've got like little fairy wings and, and, um, I was just recently given like a, a fake spell book by some of my Dungeons and Dragons, um, group that I meet with. And yeah, I love the Renaissance Festival. It's a place where actually one of the things I really like about it is that it is a queer space. It is a queer friendly space and it's a space where people can reclaim a, a past from, from its roots and experience that with other people, many of whom are either queer or queer friendly. I, I was able, you know, my, the first time that I went to Renaissance Fair post-transition was such a big moment for me because I was able to dress in a costume that I really wanted to dress up as. Oh, where did, where did you go as? Oh, that year was the first year that I went as a fairy. Uh, that I've been going ever since and I build it every year. I've got my wings now. I've got like, but that year was very simple. It was just like a little like set of wings and like a little skirt and it was really cute. And, you know, it, it meant a lot to me. See, because that's something I've always wanted to do. It's 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 great. I want to, so I, want to I want to be a fairy, but kind of like a techno fairy, you know, yes, like yes, kinda, that would go so well. Yeah, you know, kind of like controls. They're not wings; they're control surfaces. <laughs> they're, there I, you go. That's I like a, it a lot. Now, one thing you're, I have, or I mean, from a young age into D and D, so was I. Was into some. Very creative stuff. Ren Fairs, that was my jam too when I was younger. In addition, sci-fi was my jam. Anime was my jam. Trans, trans person to trans person. Why, does, why do you think this resonates so much? Especially with trans women coming up. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of times these communities um, have a lot of connection with other queer subcultures and become queer subcultures in and of themselves because of the fact that there are spaces where it's okay to lean into what you love, to lean into who you are, to lean into exploration. And, you know, I also feel like a lot of these communities have a strong connection to online spaces where it's also a little bit easier to be yourself and to not worry about like, how people are viewing your physical body because you're able to exist in an online digital space and where the barrier to being yourself might be a little bit lower. And so those two things together, like the idea that like, uh, look, a lot of people that love these things are quote unquote nerds might be shunned by like peer groups in, in real life. But we've learned that like, we love each other and we're there for each other. And these groups, I mean, I feel like there's a certain level of tolerance that you develop just by being a part of one and just by being with other people and befriending other people that are also into like these really nerdy subgenre, like niche hobbies and stuff. My background is now something, another thing you're known for the big map. And we're going to be putting the latest itineration of that map in the liner notes. When you look at all that red, what do you see and what do you think? It feels sometimes like I'm seeing the future and many times like I just try so hard to warn people and to try so hard to stop it. I, I see spaces that I, as a transgender woman, am perhaps not going to be free to move around in 
in coming in coming years, in coming months even. I see spaces where people are being hurt and where people are suffering. But I also see places where people are being respected and loved. And I see places where people are pushing for laws to protect us and to protect our community. Um, often I hear that people who are living in states that are unsafe for them, like correct Texas and Florida being really good recent examples because of all the laws that they've been proposing there. Um, they often ask me, they're like, you know, I want to, I want to get out of here. I need to get out of here, but I don't know where to go. And I don't want to go somewhere only to find that another law is passed a year later. And that's why I made the map. That's why I made this particular map. It's because I want to give people at least an idea of where to go. And I also want to give people an idea of where to work on and where needs work to pass laws that protect us. Um, yeah, you know, I, I grieve for my community often. And this map, all the red that's on it, does make me grieve. But it also, it also gives me direction on how to fight and where to fight. And I know people in even those deep red areas that are fighting and that are making a difference. And so that's what I think about whenever I see that map. That's what I think about whenever I build this map, all of the people that are in each of these states. This past election year, we saw three more trans people elected to state legislatures in different parts of the country, I might add. One was one in New Hampshire in the East, one in the Middle West in Minnesota, and one in Big Sky Country in Montana. Zoe Zephyr, not only an able activist, but also a friend of the podcast. Zoe, love you. How important is it to start seeing trans people in these seats? All of these people are amazing and so important. Zoe Zephyr, who I know very, very well in Montana, uh, is going to do a lot of good work there, as are the other transgender legislators in these other states. The reason why it is so important, I think, is because it gives a face to the laws that they're passing. And whenever they pass these laws and whenever they discuss these laws in all of these states, they're going to have to do it in front of somebody from the community. And regardless of whether it works or not, just the presence of a queer person, as of a transgender person in these states makes a difference. I, I truly believe it does. You know, there was, there's been talk about how um, the movement to accept gay marriage was based on the idea that as people were free to come out more and more, it was so much easier to hate a group of people that you didn't know, the gays, than it was to hate your colleague your mother, your brother, your children. And having elected representatives from the community in these states is putting a face. No longer is it the trans people. It's that person that you're sitting by every single day, drafting laws with and doing work with. And so I think that it's, it's beautiful that so many LGBT legislators were elected. It's beautiful that so many transgender legislators were elected. And I look forward to seeing them continue to do amazing work wherever they're at. At the same time, it's great to see all this work on the electoral front, but you had a tweet that, in a sense, called liberals out, saying that they have to get, they have to get past the complacency. 
And that leads to what do cis allies need to know about the time that we're about to walk into? It's time to get rid of complacency. And liberal complacency has been a thing for generations. I think that a lot of times well-meaning allies have the idea that things will work themselves out and that things will be okay no matter what. But there does come a time where it's important to stand up and be loud and cause good trouble and shake things up and not let things just go by the wayside, not let things go unchallenged. You know, I think um, Thanksgiving is coming up and I can bet you that there are going to be lots of discussions about transgender people at dinner tables all across America. And there are probably going to be a lot of liberal people who are well-meaning and who are allies and probably follow me on Twitter and love me and love us and, and support the trans community. But that might hear something really transphobic at the dinner table and be silent and just not say anything. And that's the kind of complacency that we don't need right now. We need people to, to step up. We need people to speak up. We need people to show up whenever we have our vigils, our protests, our gatherings. We need people to show up to the story hours where people learn about LGBTQ people and where protesters try to disrupt um, or bigots try to disrupt. And so I think that like, given that there are laws that are proposing, you know, so much of our elimination from public society, our, our elimination from public accommodations, from bathrooms, from locker rooms, from sports, from our healthcare, from our birth certificates, from gender identities matching us. Like, I think that we need them to react in a way that shows they're not just going to sit around and let it happen. You mentioned that word sports, me being a sportscaster and sports writer. How much did Leah Thomas affect what you're seeing now from the legislative standpoint and from the level of hysteria standpoint? Because it seems like she was a campaign issue this year. Yeah. And I want to first say before I like talk about Leah that I, I've met Leah personally a few times and she is such a sweet girl. She's so, she's kind. She's, she's a very kind person. And, you know, having met her, knowing all of the rhetoric around her and all of the vitriol that has come around her, it's such like a big moment of cognitive dissonance to see the media landscape around her and then to meet her herself. What was that like? And what was going through your mind as you were meeting this person and find out that, no, she's not Godzilla coming to rise up to eat women's sports? No, no, she's, she's beautiful. She's nice. She's kind. She, 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 wants, to, she wants to do the work that's, re that's required to be an athlete and to be good at what she does. She cares about what she does. She cares about... She's dedicated her life to this for a very long time. And, and so, yeah, I, it was, it was an honor to meet her. And so how much of this, you know, comes from the reaction of Leah Thomas? I think that the right exploited her, exploited her accomplishments um, to, to try to achieve a political goal. And I think that if it weren't for Leah Thomas, it would have been somebody else. They've tried, you know, a number of times they're continuing to 
try. Um, and I also think that like, this was never all about sports. Sports was just a way to warm people up for all of the other laws. Thank you. Someone else who says what I've been saying. For it, started with sports. it started with, it started with sports, but, but it was very quickly turned over into, well, now we got to stop people from being able to change their birth certificates. And now we got to stop people from going to bathrooms. Now we got to stop, you know, trans kids from being able to exist as themselves in school. And I think sports was the way to warm people up to it because people aren't as knowledgeable about the scientific issues around sports. People aren't as knowledgeable around how many transgender people are actually competing in sports. And so it, it was a Trojan horse for everything else. There are some though who are in more of the liberal democratic circles and together on Twitter, we had this discourse where people say, you know what? We need to see this sports issue. It's costing us votes. And, and never, not, not, not for me. I don't think for many reasons. I mean, you know, beyond the human rights reasons of like allowing transgender people to fully participate in public life. I also think that given what we just talked about, about the sports issue being a Trojan horse for other issues is that it all it does is warm people up to the next issue and they're not going to stop with sports. If you see sports, it's not like people are going to say, okay, now we're just going to allow transgender people to exist fully in public life and not process, not, not propose any more laws oh, against no. them. It never, it never works. Come on, we way. know better than that one. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And so, people lost their minds over a trans woman, especially winning on a game show. Exactly. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Exactly, or winning in a beauty pageant. I mean, this this happens. Like they, it's not about sports. It's never about sports. And and so, no, I don't think that we need to seed any issue to 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 somehow like appease conservative voices. And on top of that. You know, there has been a lot of recent polling done by Republican groups that have that 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 has shown that, like, no matter how people feel about it in terms of like, are they for it or against it, this isn't what they want to talk about. This isn't what they want to vote on. This isn't what they want to change in society. This isn't a major priority for them. You know, I, I think it was something like um, there was like ten different issues that came out of a new a new poll that was just released post election among Republicans. And it was like only 24% of Republicans identified the transgender people in sports and transgender hormone therapy uh, for trans youth as being an issue that they strongly cared about versus all of these other issues. So it's not even red meat for them. Like this is such a niche issue that in my opinion, and, and from what we saw in the elections where they tried to make this a huge issue in places like Michigan, it's not, it's a failing strategy for them. Like, it's not something that we have to see. You're not just a researcher, not just an activist. And in a sense, not just an influencer. Because you are influencing the conversation. You're a mom. Yeah. How do you balance doing this work and all the mental stress therein with raising a child? I know that I want a better world for my kid. I want a, a world that he can grow up in, even though he's not trans himself. I want a world that he can grow up in where people 
like me, like his mom, are respected. I want a world that he can grow up in where he can have queer friends or he can grow up to be the person that he wants to be, whoever that is. I want him to feel free. And and that's one big reason why I do what I do. Um, I, I want a better world for the kids. I want a better world for for them because I knew what I had to grow up in. I know the world that I had to grow up in 20 years ago in South Louisiana. And it was hard. It was very hard for people like me. And I don't want that for the peers of, of who my son is going to be growing up with. I don't want that for him. I don't want that for any of them. You hear a lot from those on the other side. They come at you too. They bite at all of us one time or another. Among those who are in opposition to us living, who's the worst person in the world? There are three that instantly pop into my mind, and it's hard to choose. I think that right now, the one that I'm the scaredest of, the one that puts fear into my heart, the one that makes me worried about my community is actually Ron DeSantis. Governor of Florida. Governor Very Florida. an interesting pick. I mean, I, and I can understand why, because he's looking at, he's, he's looking at possibly making a run at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and riding over the corpses of trans people to get there. And there, and there, there are easy other picks that I could have made that, that are big names in in spawning the hate around this, you know, I can name Chaya Reitrick and lives of TikTok. I can name Matt Walsh. I can name Tucker Carlson. All three of them have spawned violence against our community. But Ron DeSantis is taking the hate that they're spreading and putting it into action. He's skipping the legislature and detransitioning trans youth. He's trying to ban social transition. He's aiming for the White House. And I truly believe that if he makes it to the White House, Transgender people are going to be targeted by his administration in a way that we have not ever been targeted nationally. And so, um, yeah, he's he's the one. He's the one that I hope that we can so we can stop from getting there. And that's two years down the line. That's one of my biggest fears. In a sense, is that's what's driving you to continue to not only do what you do but do more. Absolutely, absolutely, to oppose him and people like him. Gut reaction from this weekend? Very hard. Very, very hard, but also very expected. Um, I'm, I'm really sad for the people that, that lost their lives, who followed us. Like, you know, there's, there's a number of the people who, um, who passed away or who were injured there, who were also followers of, of me, of, other activists in the community and seeing, you know, I mentioned earlier in this, in, in our discussion that like, I get to see the people in real life who, who follow me and like knowing that they were part of the victims there um, makes me hurt because like, I think about those people that do come up to me and, and say hi, because they know me from TikTok or Twitter. Um, but also, you know, just before coming on here, I learned that, one of the people that stopped the shooter was a transgender woman. Yes, the one with the high heel. And high that's heel. been all over that's been all over Twitter today to make sure that 
she was properly identified originally. They said, no, she's one of the drag performers. No, that was a trans woman. That was a trans woman. And I'll tell you that whenever I heard that news, I cried because I, I knew it had to be one of us. It had to be one of us that, that stopped, that helped stop him because we know the violence that has been targeted at us and we keep us safe. We're the ones looking out for each other. We're the ones that have each other's backs. And like, that really, like, I know that she's going to suffer through so much trauma from going through that, but I respect the hell out of her. And I hope one day she gets the thanks that she deserves. Yeah. I was reading the Twitter of one of the other performers at the club who the performer in the club, matter of fact, who basically broke the news and said, no, no, no. This was a trans woman who was at the club who did this. And when you look at this and you see the emotions, because I know it's probably been an emotional week, weekend for you. It's certainly been for me. As you look at the end of 2022, do you, is it more sigh of relief or is it more determination for 23? Because the fight's not over. The fight's not over. And it's not a sigh of relief at all. Um, it's determination. I am, you know, I spent, I spent some time like feeling the emotion of all of this and, and feeling the emotion of just the last few months. But as we get closer to 2023, I know it's going to be hard and there is so much bad that we're going to have to face, but I am so fired up by my community and I'm ready. I'm ready to fight alongside everybody and we're going to make a difference. We are going to stop so many of these laws this year and the ones that we don't will fight tooth and nail in court. And the ones that we can't beat in court, we're going to change society. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to stand up for each other. And I truly believe that. Who in the community do you look up to? Who inspires you? Who fires you up? There are so many names that I can just rattle off because I love them all. There are so many people that I care about. There are people that are that are doing really amazing work. You know, Ari Drennan is one that has that I've been very, very happy to get to know. Um, Jillian Brandsetter, the, the trans voices, Chase Strangio, the trans voices that are out there day in, day out, making a difference, fighting for our rights. Also, the legislators, Zoe Zephyr, you know, like people like her, people like all of these people that are out there that are fighting for our rights and putting themselves in the crosshairs. These are people that I look up to. These are people that fire me up. These are people that make me want to do what I do. I think we can add Aaron Reed to that list. I appreciate that. And one thing, in fact, exit question. Because we talked a little bit about growing up deep south in deep south Louisiana, dying that bayou country, and struggling to find yourself and be you. If you could go back 20 years ago to you before you began this journey, let's say 13-year-old you, you could go back in time, head to Louisiana 
20 and your and your 13 year old you is standing in front of you what would you say to her then i would thank her because she knew who she was and i as an adult adult her drowned that out and hid it for a long time but she didn't she knew who she was she was very confident in who she was even though she had to hide it from people she got online every day and was herself and i would also tell her that 20 years from now there would be a transgender girl who would be nominated to the homecoming court only an hour away from her because there was one this year and things change and I think that I think that she would have been very happy to know that. A follow up to that. What do you want to tell all of us? The floor is yours. Address Trans America now. What want, message can you give us? Seek your communities. Find your community. Find your family, and hold on to them so dearly because these are the people that are going to keep you safe these are going to be the people that have your back these are going to be the people that love you and that you love and in some places that that might be hard to do it might be hard to find but if you can if you can find these people who are like you find the queer people find the allies and form a community with them even if it's just two or three people that makes all the difference in the world because i truly do believe that in the end our liberation will come from each other and come from our communities that we form. You can catch her on Twitter. You can catch her on Twi TikTok. And again, we're going to have the map and the both the maps and the liner notes. Aaron in the morning, Aaron Reed. It's been a high privilege, and I can say on this Thanksgiving, I'm very thankful that you're here. And I'm thankful you're on our side. Aaron Reed, thank you for being on the Transporter Room this week. Thank you so much, Carly. Now we're going to beam you back down to D.C. because you have a lot more to track and a lot more to do. And thanks again to Aaron Reed for being part of the Transporter Room this week. But before we go, Carly's last call. And this is a story all about how a life got flipped, turned upside down. Just take a moment, just sit right there. Going to tell you about a trans woman who was a queen on the air. At this time, around last year, she was a manager for an engineering firm who just happened to find her way onto the game show Jeopardy. And then Amy Schneider, she shattered the mold, and all she does is win, all she does is win games. 40 in a row to be exact. 40 straight wins, about a million three in winnings, second longest streak in Jeopardy history. And the next thing you know, Amy Schneider's a millionaire. That engineering job, she moved away from there. And she got on the speaking circuit. She got an agent, was giving motivational speeches. She's a pretty good speaker. Mainly because, as she always said, I'm just going to be myself and just be who I am. Along the way, people were asking her opinions and she would just shrug her shoulders and say, I mean, 
People are looking at me. All I did was win in a game show, but oh no, Ms. Schneider, you did a lot more than that. In many ways, you gave a lot of people a lot of hope in what has been a tough year for transgender people, especially in this country. Along the way, oh, during Pride Month, she was the belle of the ball. And she also married the love of her life, her Genevieve. And then it was time for the Tournament of Champions. Time to get back into trivia fighting trim. And oh, did she do it. 16 in the Tournament of Champions. And it came down. Final Jeopardy just a couple nights ago. And you saw it. The head in the hands. Happy tears. That shy but confident, unassuming smile. Amy Schneider did it again. Yet for all the great things she's done, for all the inspiration that she's provided this year, I would dare say that all the wins, including the win in the Tournament of Champions and the $250,000 that she netted for doing it, was not her finest hour. Her finest hour, in my mind, came a week ago. She was in New York City for some type of speaking engagement when she got a message from back home. Home for her originally is Ohio. And in Ohio, the state legislature is pondering House Bill 454. It's a law that would take away affirming health care for trans youth in the state. Now, Schneider again, native Ohioan. The pride of Chaminade Julianne High School in Dayton. Here's what Amy did. She gets a red-eye flight from New York City to Columbus. Lands in Columbus, shows up at the State House at a hearing about HB 454, and she spoke her mind. I'm here today because I'm strongly opposed to House Bill 454 banning gender-affirming health care for minors. You know, there, there are statistics and studies that I could point to to support that, but I'm not a statistician, I'm not a doctor. And I am here to tell you why, even if I didn't know about any of those studies, I would still believe that the lives of children are on the line with the fate of this bill. See, my life is going great right now, like beyond my wildest dreams. I won a million dollars on Jeopardy, I've become like a minor celebrity, flown all over the country, visited the White House, uh, and most of all, uh, this May, I married the love of my life, Genevieve. And yet, if all those things remained just as they are now, and the only, th and the only thing that she was changed was that I was told that I could no longer access hormone therapy, I don't know that I could go on living. And I hope that I would, and I'd hope that I'd find a way to do it, but I really believe that I might not survive. You know, the best metaphor that I've come up with is that it's as if from the moment I was born, there was this quiet alarm going off in the back of my head. You know, danger, danger, clang, 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 all the time. And after decades of living with that agony, I came out as trans, and I began receiving gender-affirming care. And for the first time in my life, that alarm went silent and I knew peace and quiet for the first time. The only way I was able to live with it before was because I thought there was no other way to live. But to have that 
have gotten this piece and to have that alarm turned back on now would be so devastating. And that's for me, a grown woman who has so much going for her. But there are kids in this state that you know, don't have so much going for them, and if nothing else, they're dealing with the normal problems and anxieties of just growing up. But they have, found, they have achieved that same peace. They have had that alarm bell silenced for them because of the health care that they have been able to receive. To me, that was the winningest play she made all year. You know, we'd all like to think that if we ever got that 15 minutes of fame that Andy Warhol speaks of, that we'd use it to shed some light, that we'd use it to make a difference. We'd use it to make the world a little bit better place. Amy Schneider did all that and change. And I dare say we haven't heard the last of her. She provided a lot of inspiration in a really rough year. The answer is, who is Amy Schneider? And that's the transporter room for this week. And just a reminder, if there's something you want to see or someone you want to see or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook page, and leave a message at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, everything that I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper, steady as she goes, and be good to each other. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>